Good morning. When uh, I was close to finishing my, my uh, high school, I was asked uh, what kind of job I would like to have. We actually kind of took a, uh, a uh, yeah, up to tonight, we, we used some sort of a software where we told it what kind of things we wanted to do and uh, you know, how much we wanted to get paid and I tried to identify a job that would fit our needs and uh, I think the job it suggested would have been best for me was something like a forester. <laughs> Meaning a person who walks, walks out in the woods and, you know, kind of gathers maybe biological data or something like that. I ended up going on a different path. Uh, other people might try to think about, well, what's the most important kind of a job? What job would be most important, most valuable? And uh, I think some people might pick uh, something like a doctor or a medical person, a nurse. Why? Well, you save lives, right? You're helping people. I mean, that's a good thing, right? That's got to be pretty high up there. Others might uh, pick to be a teacher, right? After all, you're bringing up the next generation. And, um, you know, you're, you'll be teaching them. The future rides on your shoulders, right? You're the one training the next set of people. I know uh, some people may want to be the president, right? I mean, what can be more important than that? The head of the nation that guides it and... Uh, tries to steer our course out of trouble or into success. If you were to ask the same question of people uh, living around the time that the uh, letter to the Hebrews was written, very possibly they would say that the, the best or most important job was that of the high priest. The high priest <coughs> was the one who stood between God and the people. He was the one who who was, was trying to uh, make us right in the sight of God, right? Make sure that God would maintain his favorable uh, position toward the nation of Israel. And that's what we want to think about today. We, we will see Jesus presented to us in the passage as a high priest. So we want to think about the position of a high priest. First, I thought it would be fair to ask the question, do we need a high priest Today, I was recently uh, uh, challenged at work with the fact, or at least some of my uh, co-workers uh, said that um, more and more jobs are becoming obsolete because we're able to teach uh, robots to do uh, more and more of a job. Apparently, there's a robot that uh, can flip burgers at McDonald's. You don't need to uh, hire people from McDonald's anymore to flip your burgers. Uh, at least the technology is there. Uh, whether it's really the most efficient way, I don't know. But uh, how about a high priest? Do we still need a high priest today? Or has that position been rendered obsolete? Um, I, when I grew up, I, I didn't think I needed a high priest, right? Uh, if we go back in history, we can tell that, that uh, it was very common for, for religions to have priests exactly doing the same thing that, that I mentioned, trying to make appease the gods on our behalf, right? People had this, uh, if you would, this felt need, I need somebody to help me to make me right in the sight of God. And today we see that less and less. Is it because we advance? Is it because we've progressed? Or is it possible that it's because we've regressed, 
right, instead of progressing. Uh, one of the reasons I, I didn't feel I needed a high priest, well, I didn't believe there was a God. Or if there was a God, well, he wasn't such a, a, you know, a big thing to worry about. He maybe wasn't so concerned about my life or didn't have very high expectations of my life or, you know, maybe just wasn't a God to really fear. I like a verse in Job, Job chapter 26, verse 14. Job had a, a very high estimation of God, and he describes um, in this chapter some of, of the mighty uh, works of nature, and then he proceeds with the verse, Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways, and how small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? And I, was, uh, I put a picture up there that uh, kind of displays some of the power of nature, storms, uh, lightning bolts, the ocean. And what uh, Job was saying, these are the mere edges of his ways. You want to see the power of God? Well, these are just the very edges of it. This is the small whisper we hear of him. And yet, if you are in the middle of a storm like that, you sense there is a greatness of power. So how great is the God who creates these storms and them just being the very edges of his way? Job further said in chapter 9, as he was going through suffering himself, Job was afflicted, as you know, uh, by God allowing Satan to uh, expose Job to all kinds of trials. And Job didn't understand why he was suffering and uh, he was trying to appeal to God. But he says this in Job 9, For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Uh, if, uh, if me and um, my brother Michael had some sort of... Uh, you know, an argument, and we were so upset with each other that, that we weren't talking to each other, there could potentially be a, a mediator, somebody who could come and, and try to, to help us. Maybe Matt would put his hand on my shoulders and put his hand on Michael's shoulders and try to bring us together and uh, talk sense to us or, or help us in our communication. And uh, it requires somebody who can lay a hand on us both, who both of us respect and both of us would listen to, to bring about this mediation and what Job was saying is we need someone like that with God. We need someone who can lay a hand on us and lay a hand on God and bring us together because we on ourselves cannot lay a hold of God. Now we realize that we do have an intercessor in the Lord Jesus, but uh, without the Lord Jesus, this is the picture, right? There is nobody who can lay a hold of God and try to reconcile me to God. And that need is just as great today as it was in, in days past. It's just that people's small thoughts of God have caused them to not appreciate the need for this, uh, this, this role, this job, this position, uh, as much as Job understood it. One more example of, of the understanding of people uh, for this need. In Exodus, uh, we have the scene of uh, God coming down on Mount Sinai and speaking the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. And it says that God did it with a great display of his power, verse 18 in Exodus 20. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. These were 
These were visual signs of the power of God which he allowed to come on Mount Sinai as he was speaking the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. And when the people saw it, when they saw these evidences of God's power, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. So the nation of Israel recognized the need for a mediator. They couldn't, as a nation, be face-to-face with God because of God's great and mighty power and perhaps a sense of their own inadequacy or sin. They said, we need someone to stand between us and God. Right? And that person was Moses. And God doesn't rebuke them for that request. God, indeed, gives them a mediator, really comes from a, in the form of, of Moses' brother, Aaron. Aaron becomes the high priest, and he becomes this mediator between God and the people. So God recognized, yes, there is a real need for a mediator. Okay, so we see that the real, there is a need for a high priest today as much as in the past. What's the job description of a high priest? So this is, um, we'll, we'll look at our passage today, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. It says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So this is declaring Christ as our high priest. And it starts with the job description of a high priest. What's a high priest to do? We see that in our first verse. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So number one. Uh, the high priest is appointed for men. What would be your job if you were called as a high priest? Uh, well, you have to, to serve people, right? It's a people job. Uh, and uh, the, the way in which you're supposed to serve people is you need to make them right with God, right? You're serving men in things pertaining to God. And how are you going to do it? Well, you're going to offer gifts, right? Gifts to God, on behalf of the people, God, this is how much these people love you. Here's the gifts that they're offering you. And sacrifices for sin. Yes, God, I know that these people are sinners, 
But here we're offering you this sacrifice. Please accept this sacrifice in the place of these people instead of judging these people for their sins. Right? I mean, that would be your job. And it might be a job that uh, doesn't give you a lot of break. Right? I, I like working 40 hours a week, if I can help it. But uh, if you were the high priest and somebody uh, committed a sin uh, late in the evening, they might bring their sin offering and say, would you please intercede on God for, uh, with God on my behalf? Right? It's not a 40-hour-a-week job. Right? It's a 24-7. Right? You're here to save, serve people for their needs. And uh, maybe you're not sure how to do your job. How do you intercede with an almighty, holy God in an effective way to help people that are that are sinners, but that want to have a right standing with God, right? I mean, that would be a daunting task, right, if you were to take that position upon yourself. Now, uh, fortunately for us, if we were to hire someone for the job, let's say you recognize you're not the man for the job, but we need someone to take the job, so we have to find someone that is willing to do it, we have here certain qualifications, right? The first qualification here. It says he has to be taken from among men. You need a man to do this job. Uh, imagine God assigning the archangel Gabriel for the job as high priest for the nation of Israel. Well, you know, let's say you've just committed a sin. Are you going to walk and talk to the archangel Gabriel about it? Right? And most people that face angels in the scripture either faint, fall on their face, right, are filled with fear, they run away. It's not going to help us if a high priest was an angel, right? I need a man. I need someone I can approach. Someone I trust will understand me, right? And someone who's not going to throw me out of the room as soon as I explain what it was that I did, right? So it needs to be a man. He has to be taken uh, from among men. It says that he has to have compassion. And compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Now, I can imagine, let's say, you know, you, you committed a sin and you come to me and you say, no, I'd... You know, I really messed up here. Would you please help me out? And I would say, all right, okay. I know it's after hours, but I can understand you have a need, and I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll step in, and I'll help you out. But now let's say, you know, you committed the sin, but you're not even bringing me a goat. You're not even coming to me and saying, I need to be made right with God. Right? That's, what, that's what it says here when it says he, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. You know what? Most of the people in Israel were not interested in God. Right? And yet the high priest still needed to intercede on their behalf, right? He, he was there for the whole nation. He, he carried on his shoulder these tablets with the names of all the tribes of Israel as a reminder, these are the people I'm bearing before God. I'm here to represent them, right? So this, this man we want to hire has to have such a compassion for us that he's willing to come after us even when we're not going to him, right? Because unfortunately, that's the kind of people we are. We are people who, who are ignorant of God's righteousness, holiness, and power. We're ignorant of our own sin. We're going astray. You know, all we like sheep have gone astray. I need a shepherd that will seek me out, right? If, if, as long as we're in looking for a high priest, let's find one who can really do the job, okay? He has to have compassion. And uh, it explains, it says, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sin. So he points, uh, points to the fact that the Levitical priesthood had some issues, right? The high priest 
were also sinners and they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins, which is not the case with the Lord Jesus, but that was the case with them. But it kind of helped them with the compassion side, right? As they looked at their own inadequacies, somebody come and shares with them their failures, they can sympathize, right? At least it helps me in that realm. The fact that I'm a failure helps me sympathize with other people who are failures. And then the final qualification, and no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Um, so God, God set up a particular person to be high priest. Aaron was to be Israel's first high priest, which means God was going to accept him, right? If Aaron came to God on behalf of the people, well, this is the man I set up as God, and therefore I will listen to him and what he has to say to me. Uh, later on in the in the uh, evolution of Israel's history uh, as a nation, they, they rebelled against God, and uh, the northern kingdom split from the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom didn't want people to go all the way to Jerusalem and worship God there, thinking maybe they'll defect to, the, to Judah, or the southern kingdom. So they set up their own places of worship, and because the Levites weren't willing to go along, the Levites knew, no, no, we have to go to Jerusalem. Uh, they set up their own priesthood. All right, we don't need the sons of Aaron anymore. Right? We'll have our own priests. And uh, the problem is God doesn't recognize those priests. Right? Those priests had no right to come before God on behalf of the people. So you can't, you know, even if we all advertised for the job and a person showed up for the job and he seemed really qualified for us and we all took a vote and said, yeah, that's the man. We want him to be our high priest. There is no guarantee God will accept that person. In fact, it would be very presumptuous of him and of us to think that God would accept him. Right? It has to be someone that God has, has accepted, someone that God has set up. Okay, so much for the general qualification of the high priest. Now the author will show us how Jesus fulfills those, right? We, we, we recognize this is, a, this is all pointing us to the Lord Jesus as our, our great high priest. And uh, so verse 5 says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So there's two references that the author is bringing to us from the Old Testament as a proof for Jesus being an acceptable high priest, one whom God will heed. The first one has to do with Jesus' own nature as being the Son of God. As the Son of God, we can expect that Jesus would have entry into God and be able to intercede on our behalf. Um, I've recently listened to a biography of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln had uh, four, four sons. Uh, one died before Abraham Lincoln became president. And uh, one uh, was old enough that when Abraham Lincoln became president, he was already in college. And I think later actually joined the army and was uh, fighting in the Civil War. So there were two sons, uh, Tad and Willie. And uh, Willie died during uh, Abraham Lincoln's uh, stay in the White House. And uh, that uh, devastated, obviously, Abraham Lincoln, and especially his wife. His wife, who uh, never seemed to be very strong mentally, really seemed to, uh, to suffer during this particular time and wasn't even able to take care of Tad. So it was Abraham Lincoln himself grieving for the loss of his son, and now 
uh, you know, have a son left who the mother wasn't able to take good care of. And so what you found is, if you were uh, Abraham's uh, uh, chief of war or a chief of the treasury and you had a special meeting with Abraham Lincoln, this boy Tad was welcome at any time. And he could just walk in to the, the highest meetings of the land and, and sit on his father's lap. And uh, that's a picture of the Lord Jesus we're told in John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who dwells in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Jesus is always in the bosom of his Father. Right? Uh, let's imagine that you had... Um, you were one of, of uh, Tad's uh, classmates in school, and uh, your father was in the army during the Civil War, and your father fell asleep during his guard post, which happened, right? Because you were tired, you worked during the day, and then it was your responsibility to, to watch at night, and the penalty for falling asleep on your job was death, execution. That's how seriously they took it. And uh, let's imagine that was you, you were, your father fell asleep and an uh, uh, urgent message came from your, from, uh, your father's company uh, to your house, you know, knocking on the door, waking your mother in the middle of the night saying, we're very sorry, uh, Mrs. Smith, but we'd like to let you know what happened. You know, your husband fell asleep on duty and he is to be executed tomorrow for doing it. And uh, you know Willie. So you know Tad, and you could tell Tad, you know, would you please go to your father and ask for my father's life? Right? Here is somebody who has an entry into the president of the United States of America, and he can get a pardon for your father. Right? Well, how valuable that is. Well, that's what we have in the Lord Jesus. Someone who enters the presence of God, someone who is in the bosom of the Father, someone who can speak for you at any time with the Father. Second, uh, we were told here, uh, God speaking to the Lord Jesus in uh, the Old Testament says, you are a priest forever according to the older order of Malkitzedek. Now, so first of all, we're being told here that Jesus is a priest, right? He's, he's specifically called a priest in the Old Testament. And, and we're going to have like a whole section about this. So this is a spoiler alert about Malkitzedek. So we're, we're not going to go into it right now. Um, but uh, notice he's called according to the order of Melchizedek, not according to the order of Aaron. He's not a descendant of Aaron. So Jesus needs a separate calling to being a high priest, right? And that's why he refers to Melchizedek, who, by the way, is the very first priest mentioned in the Old Testament, right? Abraham meets him. We'll, we'll, we'll see that later. Abraham met Melchizedek before, there was, uh, before Aaron existed, right? So he predates Aaron. Uh, second, note that it says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This is something that spans outside of the ordinary priesthood. So typically a high priest was high priest for how long? Well, as long as he lived, right? Uh, once, you, once your father dies, you become high priest. Maybe you're 30 years old. You remain high priest until you die. Right? I don't know, maybe there's a way of passing it before, but certainly it's not going to extend beyond your death. So any high priest only has a limited duration, a limited value. Right? And once he dies, you need to find another high priest. 
right? And, uh, but this one, Jesus is a priest forever. He spans the ages. You can go backward before the cross. You can go in the future after the cross, 2,000 years to where we are today, and we still have the same high priest. Right? He's still there interceding on my behalf before God. He is a priest forever. Okay. The next qualification of Jesus is in verse 7. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, we want to pause there and recognize that Jesus had a flesh like you and me. Right? He was a man. Right? Uh, fully human in every way. Now, this is important, as we pointed out before. A high priest had to be taken out of men. He had to be approachable. Uh, I remember uh, seeing a video once uh, that kind of talked about uh, witnessing to Catholics, and somebody was interviewing Catholics and asking them uh, different questions, like, why do you pray to Mary? And uh, a person said, well, I find Mary more accessible. You know, Jesus is kind of scary. He's God, or the Son of God. But Mary, well, I, she's kind of on my level. It's like, I feel that she's approachable. Uh, it's interesting that the person feels that way, but uh, Mary doesn't have a really good record in the Scriptures of being approached by people. Now, she may, she may have been very approachable. I have no reason to doubt that. But uh, Jesus... Uh, if, if you are to read the Gospels, and I'm hoping everybody is reading the Gospels, it's, that's, that's really where the Lord Jesus is revealed, right, in, in, in his fullness, uh, you see him being approached by people. He was very approached. Nobody was afraid of approaching Jesus. Mothers brought their babies to him, right, and he blessed them. Uh, a leper approached him. I think somebody mentioned that this morning, right? An unclean person. My understanding is if a leper approached a typical religious leader during those days, that leader would spit at him or throw stones at him, get away from me, you're unclean, I don't want any of that on me. Right? That was a typical response of a religious leader to a leper. And yet a leper comes to Jesus and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus doesn't say, I'm willing, be cleansed. Jesus puts his hand on him. I'm willing, be cleansed. He was approachable, right? Gentiles came to him. I know that doesn't seem shocking to you, but, but in that day, it was in ordinary, right? The Gentiles could approach him. Um, uh, tax collectors, right? Tax collectors came and sat down and ate with him. And the rabbis, you know, Pharisees, scribes, it's like, went to his disciples. You know, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners, right? I mean, it was in their mind, it was a lowering of a religious teacher would never do that. I, I, I'm here with my friends, you know, the one who love God like me, right? And yet, uh, yet this tax collector, this reject of the religious society felt comfortable coming to Jesus and having a meal with him, right? Jesus was a, as approachable, more approachable than any other religious teacher that, that we have record of, right? Because he was a man and because he was Jesus. <clears throat> okay, uh, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Probably one of the more difficult verses 
we will come across in the book of Hebrews. So he talks about Jesus praying. We know Jesus prayed, right? It, it appears very, multiple times in the scripture, which is an evidence of him, him being God, right? God, I'm sorry, being man, right? God doesn't pray. Why? Because God has everything he needs. He doesn't need to pray for anything. So the very fact Jesus prayed shows his humanity, right? But um, it goes on and talks about him praying with vehement cries and tears. So he's praying in the midst of trials and tribulations here. And then it says, um, he was praying to him who was able to save him from death and was heard before because of his godly fear. Well, most commentators will point us to the garden, his prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane as being what is described in this passage. So we will do the same. If you're, you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 26, but I'll, I'll read it. And uh, if you want to, you can take your shoes off your feet because I don't know a passage in the scripture that uh, brings us closer to, uh, to uh, appreciating uh, the humanity of Christ. All right, as God came to Moses in the burning bush, he said, take your shoes off your feet, for the place in which you stand is holy. Certainly this is as holy of a spot as that. It says, then Jesus came with them, to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. What does it mean to be deeply distressed? Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. You hear a, a lot of hyperboles, a lot of time people will say things like, um, you know, I, I wish I was dead, this is so bad. Right? But I mean, it's, it's often empty words, or people might be really sad, but they don't really appreciate what they're saying. We, I think we call it an hyperbole claiming, expressing something that's more than reality. Jesus would not speak any hyperboles. He was just speaking the truth. When he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death, he was speaking the truth. Stay here and watch with me, asking for his disciples to pray with him. He went a little farther and fell on his face. Jesus falling on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is Jesus asking for? Let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the cross. This is Jesus saying, I don't want to die on the cross. Now, this is the same Jesus who we looked at this morning in advance saying, you know, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. He knew what he was doing all the time when he came to the world. This is no surprise to Jesus. 
that he was going to have to die on the cross. And yet when the moment came, and this is, by the way, a few hours before he would be crucified, he fell on his face and he asked his father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. This is Jesus' humanity speaking out. His flesh cringing at the expectation of pain and suffering he is about to go through. And he's saying, I don't want it. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There was no sin in Jesus. He was perfectly submitted to God and saying, God, Father, if this is your will, I will do it. Right? There's no rebellion against God, but this is a desire of my heart not to suffer on the cross. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. It's interesting to me, the wording changes a little bit between the first prayer and the second one. It's like he's one step closer to accepting it. Right? If it is your will, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, perfect submission to the Father. And yet Jesus went through deep waters. Right? As a man, having to face up to the cross of Calvary. Now, to uh, finish this verse, the difficulty of it, it says, he was heard because of his godly fear. How was Jesus heard in this prayer? Well, he was heard because God made it clear to him that it was his will for Jesus to drink the cup. And as a proof, we could go to John 18, where uh, this is literally minutes later, maybe an hour later, the soldiers show up. Simon Peter wakes up from his slumber, and he pulls out a sword. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? What is he? He now recognizes this is the cup my father has given me. Remember, he asked him, is this your will? Is this your will? Do I have to take the cup? And the answer was yes. Here's the cup. And Jesus took it. <coughs> Why? Why was it the Father's will that his son take that bitter cup? I think it goes back to uh, verse 1 in chapter 5. Remember, the high priest needed to offer something to, to uh, bring God to have a favorable disposition toward the people he was serving. Right? It says that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Jesus needed something to offer God that would make God satisfied with sinners. How can God be satisfied with sinners? He looks at his son and what his son did on the cross, and he says, I accept that. 
And now he is favorably disposed toward you and me. Praise God. Okay, continuing in this passage as we see the Jesus' qualification to be our high priest. <clears throat> he said in verse 8, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So again, we're trying to think here of Jesus as our high priest <clears throat> and us, us coming to him. Now let's say Jesus came into this world <clears throat> uh, as a man, right? He had to be a man. But, uh, you know, God had him born in a palace. You know, he always lived, you know, so the rosy part of this world, never had to suffer, never came into any difficulties during his life. One might wonder how well could he really be our mediator? How well can Jesus uh, sympathize with me and recognize the struggle I have in my life and, and be disposed to help me in them? And that's why he says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He didn't have a rosy life. Now, we would sometimes think as a son you get that uh, special treatment. If you were Bill, Bill Gates' son, I imagine he will send you to a good school. And uh, after you graduate, uh, he might offer you a position in his company. And uh, maybe he'll offer you a VP position to start with, right? Uh, we call that nepotism. God didn't show that kind of favor to Jesus, right? Jesus had to suffer in this world, as we saw, really more deeply than anybody else had to suffer. And because of that, we can approach Jesus and not be concerned that Jesus doesn't know what it's like, right? God, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand. Well, Jesus understands. Right? Okay. Um, our last verse here. <clears throat> and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. First of all, what do we mean by Jesus being perfected? Jesus was already perfect in the sense that he always did the things that pleased the Father, right? It's not like he was, you know, a sinner, but through the process of, of suffering, he finally learned to stop sinning. No, he was always perfect. Right? So in what way was he perfected? Well, he became the perfect high priest, right? Before he became a man, he wasn't qualified. Before he uh, suffered as a man, he wasn't qualified. Before he he had the gift to offer as a payment for our sins. He couldn't have really saved us, right? So that's why, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. What do we mean by eternal salvation? Well, the angel said to Joseph, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, right? That's the salvation that Jesus offers us. It's what we want the high priest to do. I am a sinner. God is holy. I need someone to save me. Right? I need someone to make me right with God. That's what Jesus came to offer us. And it is eternal salvation. It's forever. Right? I don't want to, uh, you know, to be saved and then sin and then need to be saved again. 
right? I need, I, I need to be saved forever. I don't want to have to worry about this problem again. Give me eternal life, right? Eternal salvation is what I need and what Jesus came to give. Because he was perfected, now he is the author of eternal salvation. Now, what do we mean by author? I think the word author can be for, for confusing. He, he was the author of eternal salvation in that, you know, he wrote it, right? There was no, no eternal salvation before Jesus wrote it. Other translation might say he is the source of eternal salvation. And I like that because it, it points out to the fact there is no other source. It is the only way. And that's something that the scripture uh, says again and again. Jesus said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? There was no other way of salvation. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the disciples as they were preaching to people. And finally, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Today, we uh, were taught to be tolerant, right? We want to be tolerant of people. And uh, this verse, or this particular teaching that Jesus is the only way is not considered to be tolerant, right? People say, accept us being Muslims, or Mormons, or atheists, <laughs> and we can still get to heaven, right? Don't exclude us. Don't be intolerant. I was trying to think of an illustration for that. Let's say uh, you were uh, on a boat, a three-hour tour, and uh, you ended up on an island, right? And uh, there's nothing on that island. You will starve. You will die of thirst. And yet, someone uh, over the years passing by that island thought, you know what? One day someone might get stranded on that island and they will starve or die of thirst. So I better prepare for them. And that person comes and he sets up a bed and breakfast on the island just in case somebody would, uh, would find themselves uh, destitute under and uh, you, you, you go and you knock on the door and you, you ask, uh, is, this, is this a place I can stay in? Yes, yes, you can stay here. Uh, how, much, how much will it cost? Nothing, nothing, this is free. Well, <clears throat> what other options do I have? Uh, none. Uh, there is no other water on the island. There is no other food on the island. I, I, I got everything. Everything for you. It's prepared, it's ready, it's free. But... Uh, but there's no other options. And that's what Jesus is saying. When he's saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. I made a way, right? I mean, if you can find another high priest who is God, became a man, died for your sins, rose from the dead, you know, there may be another way. But there's only one. There's only one prepared for you. Now, just to close here, there were uh, just a the last few words here, he offers, he became the author of eternal salvation for who? For who? To all who obey him. To all who obey him. Often uh, we struggle with verses like this. What do you mean to all who obey him? I thought salvation was by grace through faith. Right? Where does obedience come in? Well, it comes in in a couple of ways. First of all, 
To believe the gospel is an act of obedience, right? Because Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, right? So if, when, you, when you put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins, you're obeying him because he told you to do it, right? So that's, that's obedience. Second, um, Jesus talks about repentance. You cannot, you know, they say, uh, uh, have your cake and eat it too, or is it eat your cake and have it too? <laughs> right? You cannot say, you know, I'm a, a sinner and I'm doing all these things I know God doesn't want me to do, but I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. So I want to accept the salvation Jesus offers, but I want to continue doing these things I know he doesn't want me to do. Right? I mean, you failed at, at, the, at the entry door called repentance. Right? Repentance means... I recognize that what I'm doing is wrong. It's, it's hurting me. It's hurting others. It's hurting God. I wasn't created to do this. I was created to know God, to love God, to serve God. And that's what I want to do. The problem is I'm a sinner and God is holy and he needs to judge me for my sins. Well, that's when the gospel comes in. right? And I can put my faith in Jesus as my Savior, as my high priest. And he takes care of the sin problem. And now I can come into this relationship that God wants me to have with him which is a relationship of obedience, right? It's recognizing God is God, right? And, uh, in, and, and my desire is to please him. Now, there's no, my life is not perfection, right? I don't obey God all the time. And even when I obey him, I don't obey him perfectly, right? So I fall short. But you know what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to make up for all of those failings, right? But there has to be the repentance part. There has to be an agreement. I shouldn't be living a life of sin. I should be living a life in submission to God. That's obedience to him. Uh, finally, um, we want to recognize there's an opportunity, right? The door is open, right? He offers, he's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Everybody has this opportunity. Anybody can submit themselves to Christ and say, here I am, the sinner that you died to save. Please save me, right? And Jesus will save all, right? He is the high priest. God has made him the great high priest forever who can provide anyone with a way to heaven. The only question that remains is, is he your high priest? Have you submitted yourself to him and received eternal life? If not, do so today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for thinking of us, Lord, preparing a place for us, preparing your son as our savior 2,000 years ago, Lord, you knew we would be here today, needing you, calling upon you. We pray if there's anybody here or anybody listening to this message who hasn't yet put their faith in you, that you help them do so and do so today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.